Welcome back to our podcast, Diaspora Dialogues. I'm Sambhavi. And I'm Ramya. And in our first season, we are doing a deep dive into the country of Sri Lanka. In each of our episodes, we will be inviting subject matter experts, either working on the ground or affiliated with a local organisation, to help inform our conversation about the social, economic and political climate of the nation. In our second episode, we will be covering Sri Lankan politics and the role that activism plays in Sri Lankan democracy. As this is a large topic, we are splitting the episode into two parts. In this first 20-minute podcast, our subject matter experts will be explaining the Sri Lankan political system better, giving you insight into the current state of play in the country as we lead up to the 2020 parliamentary elections in August. To start it off, let's meet our guests for this episode. We are joined today by human rights defender Ruki Fernando and Dr. Ahilan Kadivgama. Ruki Fernando, I'm from Colombo. Uh, so I've been involved in human rights activism on issues related to freedom of expression and forced disappearances, uh, rights of uh, refugees, uh, freedom of religion or belief, uh, and things like that. And I've been working with some survivors and victim families, as well as engaged in some uh, trainings and documenting and writing. I'm Ahilan Kadugama. I teach uh, sociology at the University of Jaffna. And I'm also a member of the Jaffna People's uh, Forum for Coexistence. Um, I also write a column in the Daily Mirror newspaper called Red Norths. Ahilan, so we were hoping that you could provide some context before we dive into the discussion. Uh, We know that Sri Lanka is a democratic republic, but how would you describe the structure of the country's political system? Yeah, in Sri Lanka, uh, similar to the French system, we have a, a president directly elected by the people as well as a parliament. In, in November last year, we had the uh, president. In August, we are expected to have uh, the parliamentary elections. So, the, and then there are other tiers of uh, government as well. There is a provincial level uh, government and there are local governments as well. So normally in Sri Lanka, there would be uh, every five, six years, four sets of elections. So there are local government elections. Then at the provincial level, there are provincial level elections uh, to elect the provincial council. Then parliamentary elections, where from each of the uh, 22 electoral districts, uh, people are elected uh, to parliament along with a national list. So there's proportional representation. Two-thirds of our members of parliament are directly elected and the others on the basis of proportional representation. And then uh, the president who is uh, elected directly. So there is some sharing of power uh, between the president and the cabinet of ministers from the parliament. And sometimes you have different parties in power in parliament and in the presidency. So that also can lead to certain tensions. Mm -hmm. In uh, 2015, an important act was brought by parliament called the 19th Amendment, which restricted the powers of the executive president. The executive presidency came about in 1978, and it's broadly seen as having excessive powers almost to the level of authoritarianism. So some of those powers were uh, clipped by the 19th Amendment. And in the lead up to the uh, parliamentary elections, now there are moves to uh, uh, undo the 19th Amendment. That is what the the ruling party is saying, that if they get a two-thirds majority in parliament, they can bring about constitutional reform. 
towards undoing the 19th Amendment. So who would you say are the main parties and players currently? The President's Party, which is a new party uh, formed a couple of years ago, SLPP, Sri Lanka Pudumajana Permuna, probably in the lead even in terms of the parliamentary elections. The SLPP split from the SLFP, the Sri Lanka Freedom Party, uh, as the Rajapaksas decided to form their own party. And now they have more or less in the process of uh, engulfing the SLFP. Then the UNP, the United National Party, which is one of the oldest parties in Sri Lanka, mainly from the kind of capitalist right, I would say. Mm-hmm. And even they have split this year, where the UNP is led by its leader, Ranil Vikramasinghe, and Sajit Premadasa, uh, who was the son of President Premadasa, who was in power in the late 1980s and uh, early 90s. He has split with a large section of the UNP to form the SJB, Samaji Jana Balaveya. And so what we have seen in the last two, three years is that these two kind of old traditional parties splitting. So that is reflective of the political changes going on. Then uh, the third main political actor in the South is the JDP, which was responsible for two insurrections in 1971. And then again, between 1988 and 1990, they have tried to form a broader front called the National People's Power, where some other actors have also joined them. In the Tamil fold, there is the Tamil National Alliance, which has the most number of representatives in parliament. But there's also the TNPF, which comes from the Tamil Congress, which is trying to gain some seats. And the uh, former chief minister, Vic Nesvaran, has formed another party called the Tamil People's Congress. So those three parties competing for power in the north and then also the current minister, Douglas Dervanan, the lead EPDP. So what we have seen in Tamil politics is a fragmentation. I think there are something like 30-odd parties contesting in the Jaffna electoral district and 40-odd parties contesting in the Bani district. Among the, the Muslims, there is the Sri Lanka Muslim Congress, which is the larger party, but also other uh, groupings like uh, ACMC under Rishad Baduidin. So they contest and they have uh, constituencies, for example, uh, in Manar in the north, but they mainly have uh, a larger basis in the east and then also throughout the country as the Muslim population is dispersed. Then um, the upcountry Tamils have a number of parties. Uh, the Ceylon Workers' Congress, which is part of the uh, current government, its uh, leader, Thondaman, passed away couple months ago. Um, So they are an important party, but there are also other factions led by uh, Manu Ganeshan, who is also competing in in the Colombo area as well as in the upcountry and Digambaram. So so a lot of uh, political parties are uh, ethnic based Mm -hmm. and they have also fragmented over the years. So what kind of consolidation will take place in this uh, parliamentary elections is, is, is being watched for. The parties that you just mentioned, um, are they at the provincial level and how do they feed into a parliament? They all contest at the provincial level as well, but they're all now going to be contesting in the upcoming parliamentary elections. The right. provincial councils, you know, their term ended almost all of them and, and they don't necessarily all end together uh, because in, there are nine provinces in Sri Lanka and in each province, the government can uh, hold elections at different points, but more or less all their terms 
came to an end uh, about two years ago and elections for provincial councils have not been held. So it is expected that after the <coughs> parliamentary elections, provincial elections are likely to be held. Ahilan, we know that there are upcoming parliamentary elections in August 2020 and that they have been delayed a few times due to COVID-19. Could you give us an idea of where the country is up to in the current election cycle? And how would you describe the current political climate leading up to these elections? The um, parliament uh, term uh, was to end on September 3rd. And uh, constitutionally, the president is allowed to dissolve parliament six months before the end of the term. So the president uh, chose this kind of the first date possible on March 3rd to dissolve parliament. So we haven't had parliament in session. And when he dissolved parliament on March 3rd, elections were uh, expected to happen uh, in late April. And um, because of the COVID crisis, then it was, uh, they, had to, they said they were going to delay till end of June. And now August 5th has been set uh, as the date uh, after certain legal battles, including a Supreme Court ruling. Um, obviously, with the, the COVID crisis, even though the lockdown has been lifted in Sri Lanka, uh, campaigning has been limited. So there was a lot of criticism that this won't be a fully uh, democratic election because the, the room and space was not there for complete uh, uh, free campaigning and the, and the ruling party uh, has an unfair advantage. Um, but nevertheless, elections are going to be held in April, uh, sorry, August 5th. And there is a lot of um, uh, push on the part of the government to show that there is normalcy. So uh, schools are being resumed. Um, uh, universities are going to be open. So that there is uh, this kind of push, which many political analysts believe is really a push to legitimize holding elections. Now, there's um, one uh, worrying uh, recent development. Um, the last um, two, three days from July 10th uh, and 11th, there's been a sudden increase uh, in the identification of COVID-19 positive cases, that the highest single day uh, rise since the COVID crisis came about in, in Sri Lanka of 300 cases uh, was identified uh, on <clears throat> July 10th. So uh, that also is a, is a worrying sign as we uh, approach elections within uh, four weeks. Overall, um, as you might be aware, uh, COVID-19 has been uh, comparatively very much under control in Sri Lanka compared to most other countries. Um, we have about, I believe, 2,400 uh, odd cases, positive cases up to now, and about 11 deaths. Um, so relative to other countries in the region and internationally, it has been uh, somewhat uh, restrained. Um, but, um, uh, what you know, whether there will be a second wave of the COVID-19 crisis, what the kind of 
you know, large amount of movement of people with elections would do remain questions. Thanks for that, Ahilan. Um, Rookie, in your experience, um, you know, traveling from Colombo to the Northeast, have you seen how COVID has impacted the election process and, and democracy as a whole? So generally, I think the, how free and fair uh, election is, uh, is determined before the election date. And factors like the, the role of the media, how much the media is able to give uh, you know, space for, equally for all the parties and candidates, uh, the, the state, the use of state resources and the, including state personnel uh, is also a major factor in an election being free and fair. And I think uh, what, like Ahilan said, I think the in, indication so far is that the COVID-19 situation has uh, made it more favorable for the ruling party. Uh, so that I think uh, will kind of undermine the, the free and fairness of the election on August 5th, uh, even before the 5th of August. And what is very visible, I think, in the north and east uh, is the, the amount of checkpoints and the degree of uh, militarization. I mean, I traveled a couple of times to the north, uh, including two days ago. Uh, so I clearly, clearly experienced, no, I mean, there's hardly any checkpoints in the first uh, 200 kilometers. Uh, maybe I was stopped about twice, but then after that, I was stopped about six times. And I saw many, many more uh, checkpoints and barriers uh, manned by the military and the police. That's very visible. Uh, but of course, overall, uh, all over the country, uh, there has been, uh, COVID has led to a militarization process and a kind of undermining of the civil service. And uh, I mean, I would agree with Ahilan that, uh, and it's very visible, obviously, that you know, Sri Lanka has much less uh, 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 caseload of uh, COVID patients than uh, South Asia in general and internationally. But I think that our, you know, the public health sector played a big role in that. But I think the visible roles were often given to the military. The head of the, the army commander was appointed right at the beginning as the head of a main operational body at the national level uh, to deal with COVID. Uh, and then there were subsequently many other appointments made where military officers are playing a lead role. Uh, so I think that is something that is uh, very visible. Uh, I also want to add something in terms of political system and structure. I think it's been very difficult for new parties and new uh, candidates to break into the national political system in Sri Lanka. Uh, and I think that is a, a really a challenge. Uh, so sometimes we are, the voters are left with very, very tough choices of voting for people we don't uh, really like to vote for in terms of policies and their practices. And we sometimes there are arguments made that voting for a, a new candidate or a new formation uh, would not be meaningful. Uh, because uh, they are very unlikely to win. So then forever we are stuck with the, the old parties who we despise largely and the old candidates. No, so I think uh, there has been, a, I think, quite a lot of uh, movement asking for more women's participation, more participation of more younger people in politics. Uh, and there has been candidates uh, coming forward and there has been parties nominating. Uh, but again, these new uh, no, candidates, uh, women, youth, often come from the same old parties. Uh, so in terms of actual policies and practices, uh, it's very difficult and challenging for them to uh, make a big difference. And I, we've also seen some uh, like human rights activist uh, lawyers, uh, also uh, victims, families, families of people who had disappeared coming forward as uh, candidates. Uh, but again, I think for them, when they align themselves with uh, all the parties, they get kind of sucked in uh, to that the system. 
rather than being able to bring in a you know, breath of fresh air or in terms of their perspective uh, into electoral politics. I mean, can I just say one thing? This parliamentary election is, uh, is extremely important in terms of the future of Sri Lanka. The, the ruling government is uh, calling for a two-thirds majority in parliament so that they can uh, change the constitution of Sri Lanka itself. And when they do that, what kind of uh, legal constitutional order that will remain, not only for the next five years, but possibly longer, is of serious concern. Uh, when it comes to the minorities, and particularly the Tamil minority, devolution of power through the provincial council system, which came about only in 1987, that is at risk. Whether you know, some of the independence of the uh, commissions, like the ones, the statutory bodies that Ruki spoke about, whether they would remain independent is also uh, on the cards. And all this is happening amid a, a COVID crisis where there's a lot of fear. So people are likely to be swayed one way or the other. And also, you know, there's, a, there's a very deep economic crisis. Uh, the UN office in Sri Lanka uh, a couple of weeks ago released a report that said that the incomes of average households are going to fall by 27% for the rest of the year every month. So that's a huge, serious economic situation. So amidst this kind of a situation is when we have seen around the world, it's not only in Sri Lanka, if you look at India, even if you look at the US under the Trump administration, uh, very authoritarian, Sometimes even uh, fascist politics can take hold. So we are looking at very serious and dangerous times ahead. There are no easy short solutions. So I think everyone has to prepare for the long haul in terms of how to ensure democracy in Sri Lanka. As we've heard from our experts, Sri Lanka's 2020 elections carry a lot of weight in dictating the way the country is governed in the long term. Given this, we've asked Rookie and Ahilan about freedom of speech and how activism can help create change. Make sure to join us for the second part of this episode, where we extend this conversation to the role of activism and the part that the diaspora can play in supporting communities on the ground. We really hope you like this conversation and that it helps you understand Sri Lanka's political context better. Um, as always, we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on our episodes. And if you like what you heard, we would love it if you could forward it on to your friends and family. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you guys later.